Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, you are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and as always, I am joined by Carl Truman and Amy Bird. And let's just hop right into this. Look, you may have noticed recently that two rather recently disgraced pastors have been rushing back into the public eye, taking the stage of public ministry recently. Mark Driscoll, former pastor of the Mars Hill Megaplex in Seattle, and Tullian Chavijan, formerly of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Both of these men are back. Driscoll, of course, is the pastor of Trinity Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and Chavijan is back on social media, even uh, preaching uh, here and there. And so, Carl and Amy, it's really tough to leave the limelight, isn't it? I mean, here, here we have two men who very publicly, took very public falls, one out of just a mountain of, of evidence of spiritual and emotional abuse of his church, staff members, the whole Mars Hill megachurch complex collapsed under these allegations and scandals of abusive and, and megalomaniacal behavior. And then, of course, Tully and Chavijan through several unfolding revelations of adultery. So both of them took a nosedive, but they are, they are back. What is that... <laughs> What does that tell us? Isn't America wonderful? <laughs> it's the land of second, third, fourth, fifth, etc., yes. etc. Et chances. Yeah. It doesn't tell us anything good, I think, about the discernment of certain sections of the American conservative, Protestant, evangelical public, however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that Paul is very clear in the pastoral epistles what the qualifications for church leadership are. Yes. And... These men clearly have blown it permanently as regards those qualifications. What we seem to be dealing with is two individuals who are playing on a confusion that is not uncommon and is perhaps in some ways understandable that exists among many Christians, a confusion between the idea of forgiveness and restoration to fellowship and forgiveness and restoration to office right you can certainly i think feel sympathy or you can understand why christians want to forgive particularly want to forgive a pastor perhaps who's helped them a beloved pastor who's helped them over the years you can understand that Mm -hmm. but it should not be allowed to override the fact that there is a distinction between restoration to fellowship and restoration to office. There are certain things that you can do and certain patterns of behavior that you can follow that lead to your disqualification from office permanently. Right. Even if they, of course, do not constitute the sin against the Holy Spirit and therefore mm-hmm. disqualify you from forgiveness and restoration to fellowship. Yeah. Let me say this. I think that there is something about the ministry, the preaching ministry is especially that can appeal or that does appeal to narcissists. I mean, let's just state it 
out mm-hmm. front. Yeah. I mean, well, it, I mean, it, you're, you're a narcissist. I'm a narcissist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've there got you know, evidence right, right here. Right but, I mean, you know, it, it does appeal to men who have narcissistic tendencies. And, of course, we see that in some extreme ways. So what is, and, and Amy, although you write and speak at churches and at various events, you're a faithful layperson in a church with your family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what might a layperson look for? In a pastor that might be some warning signs. I'm not asking for Christians to become hypercritical, right. but to begin to say, you know, this is this is more than just personality quirks here. We're dealing with mm-hmm. someone who's got a genuine problem. Right. Well, I mean, you know, first I just go to scripture. I think you know it's important. Uh, Carl alluded to, and in First Timothy three, we say that you know if a man desires a position of a bishop, he desires a good work. He must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. And it goes on, one who rules his own house well. And so... Well, that's kind of the standard. I mean, that that's... These are high, high yeah. standards. And one of the things that I think may be missing is that Especially when we have all these parachurch ministries and we have even in the church all these little ministries, like even women's ministries, all of a sudden, I think everybody thinks they're a minister. Mm-hmm. And maybe that has yeah. us, you know, maybe Good that point. takes away from the ministry and the qualifications of the ministry and, and holding that office yeah. up with the respect that it deserves. And we kind of downplay that. And, mm-hmm. and we know that. You know, we do all stumble, and this is a lot more than stumbling here. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point, is is with the kind of democratization of ministry right. in general and the every member ministry approach, which on one level is absolutely true. But what mm-hmm. gets lost is the idea that, that there are some offices that the Lord Jesus himself has given to the church, Ephesians chapter 2, that bear certain high uh, responsibilities. One of the things that Tullian did in in kind of paving the way for his return into public ministry recently, with the launch of a new website and that kind of thing, was to to take those very qualifications that you and Carl have alluded to now, and to say he kind of does a turnabout and says, "Well, hey, I never lived up to those," as though to say, "See, I'm not so prideful as to pretend yeah. I actually met the qualifications." Yeah. Well, that sort of kind of sleight of hand appeals to the kind of anti-legalism thread within evangelicalism. Oh, look how how humble he's being. Well, and that's what I would actually disagree with Amy on one point. She said these are very high standards. I actually don't think they are. Okay. Is it asking a high standard of a husband that he be faithful to one wife? I don't I don't think so. I expect that from every member of my congregation. Mm-hmm. Is it a high standard to expect a man to be a good manager of his household, you know, to not be short-tempered, to not go out and get drunk every night? I don't think these mm-hmm. are hard things. I think my view of the eldership is that the elder is to embody that to which every Christian should aspire. So I would say one of the things, you know, if Tullian never matched up to those, then he should never have been a pastor in the first place. Right. If you can't live up to the standards that Paul lays out there, That's ridiculous, Mm because Paul is not demanding perfection. He's demanding Mm. a level of 
integrity in life that speaks about the integrity of the person. So, yeah, I think that's the poker tell. When Tullian says, I never lived up to this, well, what he's effectively saying there is, I was never qualified to be a minister in the first place. So what are you doing now that we know what you got up to, mate? Why are you within a million miles of being in a pulpit? Right. You know, it's interesting. We interviewed recently Michael Allen from Reformed Theological Seminary and talked some about his brand new book on sanctification. And in that interview, he brings up the so-called liberate theology, which is Mm -hmm. a reference to Tullian's ministry that he had, which was most well-known or most thoroughly marked by this kind of, of new doctrine of sanctification, which, which is to say it was a doctrine of non-sanctification. And, and basically what Tullian did was created an approach to sanctification which turned Romans 6.1 around, where sinning now becomes the battle scar that makes you fit for ministry. And that's basically what Paul Zoll says in his letter that was released recently, commending mm-hmm. Tullian, is that his adultery is the thing that helps make him fit for ministry. Well, that's just blasphemous. Yeah. By the same logic, the person who's abused a child yeah. is better qualified to counsel child abusers. Right. That's right. ridiculous. And Paul Zar should be embarrassed, intellectually mm-hmm. embarrassed by yes. that. Argument. Well, and I think they're all failing under this qualification, able to teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's mean, just bad exegesis of the text, isn't it? Right. I'm able to teach is a kind of a big deal. Right. In fact, so. in fact, that qualification, Amy, of being able to teach there in First Timothy and then Titus, you know, instruct in sound doctrine, mm-hmm. that qualification is the one qualification for elders that is unique. You know, there's right. a sense in which the other qualifications to one degree or another are right. enjoined upon all Christians. But that... That yes. qualification that you must be able to teach and instruct in sound doctrine is unique to those who hold this office. And if they don't have that, and again, to you and Carl's point there, mm-hmm. to take Romans 6.1 and turn it on its head well, is to, able abuse, to spin. <laughs> exactly, is to abuse the scriptures and, mm-hmm. and, and, and be guilty of very, very bad teaching. Bad teaching in this sense, which harms the sheep. Right. It, it is helping to turn loose a man who has, at least in the past, mm-hmm. functioned as a wolf and turning him back into the sheep pen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I always remember in these situations the life story of a man called John Profumo, who was a British cabinet minister in the early 1960s and was caught out in a call girl scandal. He was having an mm-hmm. affair with a call girl who was also linked to the Russian military attache in London at the time. Oh, goodness. Profumo was a member of the minor nobility. When he was caught, he resigned from Parliament, dropped out of public life, and spent the rest of his life washing dishes at a single men's hostel mm. and working for a single men's hostel charity because he felt that he had completely blown it as far as public trust went and that mm-hmm. he wanted to spend the rest of his life serving the public that he had so badly let down. I don't know Mm -hmm. if John Profumo was a Christian or not, uh, but I would say that is an amazing example of humble human repentance for sin. These guys who, oh yeah, we've been caught. What do we have to do? What hoop do we have to jump through so we can get back in as quickly as possible? It's appalling that the church behaves that way. I understand. I mean, these are two, you know, let's let's call it as it is. These are two middle-aged men. 
mm-hmm. who don't have any other skills. Right. Well, that's not our problem. Yeah. That's their problem. Mm-hmm. They're middle-aged men, past their prime, unlikely to be able to retrain for another career. Well, we didn't blow their careers for them. Mm-hmm. They now have a chance in some ways to be amazing vessels of grace by humbly serving the church, having blown it. The very fact that they refuse that option, I think, well, points towards connecting the dots in terms of the genuineness of repentance that's gone on here. Right, right. You know, one of the things, and and we've already said this, but we need to state again, because Carl, in your opening point, you made this clear, and and we need to say it again, that none of this that we are talking about has anything to do with whether or not these men can be returned to fellowship within the church. Absolutely not. And and you made that very clear. The reason I'm repeating it is because we know how oftentimes evangelicals think. As soon as we actually say that there should be consequences, you know, we're accused of not believing in grace. The whole issue here is, should these men be in leadership over the people of God? And there's nothing in Scripture yeah. mm-hmm. that, could, that could justify that. Yeah. Nothing at all. And back to your illustration, you know, what an amazing thing it would be if both of those men had quietly stepped out of the limelight, stepped out of social media, Mm -hmm. stepped out of any public ministry whatsoever. And some years from now, somebody recognizes a guy helping to set up chairs at their church and they go, oh, that's Mark Driscoll. Huh? Yeah. 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 He's a member of our church. You know, they just serve around here and they're, and they're a blessing to us. You know, he works at such and such and he's here on Sunday mornings, helping to set up chairs before worship service. Yeah. You know, yeah, which I have to say, some fallen pastors do do. Those without That's the huge correct. public platforms who fall often do that. Yep, and I know, I know of some I know stories from myself. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, yep. and their testimony in some ways. You know, Paul Zahl wants to talk about you know back into ministry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The testimony of that kind of humility is yeah. far more powerful than the when can I get back in as soon as right. possible. Right. Right. Indeed. And it's a sign of danger within American evangelicalism that both of these men have found such eager, willing audiences Mm -hmm. ready for them to go back again to. It's really sad. Doug Grutas once said to me, nobody ever lost money by overestimating the gullibility of the American evangelical public. Sad. you know, to which we belong. We're not. Po- right. you know, I'm not pointing the finger at those out there. We belong to this, this broad perspective. Because there's an interesting question about what motivates them to go back. And I, I think, Todd, you put your finger on it. It's not just money. Mm-hmm. I think it's the adrenaline buzz of being the big shot in the limelight. Absolutely. I've said this many times. I was once on that big platform at T4G, and this is mm-hmm. not a criticism of any of the T4G guys no. at all. No. But I got such a buzz from being up there, I realized that I don't want to do this again because I get used to this. Mm -hmm. And that would mess with my moral compass. That's not Mm -hmm. to say that it's done that with any of the the T4G guys are friends. We're not criticizing T4G here. Some, I think, can withstand that. Mm -hmm. I know that I would not be able to cope with that week by week. It would lead me to a bad place. And thankfully, you know. The Lord has made it very unlikely, I think, <laughs> that that is one temptation I'm ever going to have to wrestle yeah. with. Thank you. Yeah, don't anticipate any more invitations. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. My days of speaking before more than about 15 people along with well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I go to Todd's mega church. Then, right, you know, exactly. We'll have you yeah, back out. What is it, 5,000 or something? Something like that. Sure, church. sure. Yeah. But, you know, what these comebacks to, I think one thing, 
one of the red flags that is apparent in a lot of what they're saying is this self-importance that we need to hear these things from them. Like they are needed in the yeah, ministry. The still. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the kingdom needs them and uh, too big to fail. Yeah. yeah. Even for a lot of these, you know, events and stuff. And when you look at all the money that goes into them and what they're charging yeah. as speaking fees, I mean, I, I just feel like we could have a nobody say these things mm-hmm. Yeah. and God can use the donkey. So right. <laughs> That's right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it was predictable that sooner or later they were going to come back and we were going to do a podcast on it. So uh, we are as always utterly, well, we are as predictable as the people we criticize, if I could put it that way. But I want to say thanks very much to everyone for joining us today. If you're out there and you're really glad to see Mark Driscoll and Tully and Chivijin back on the scene, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where we're actually doing a really good deal on the Brooklyn Bridge this week. The Puppet Master will make you a, a good deal on buying the Brooklyn Bridge. If you agree with what we've said, you have a chance to win copies of Kent Hughes' book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, and Barbara Hughes' book, Disciplines of a Godly Woman. We're recommending these books because, of course, though the temptations for the guys at the top of their game speaking before casts of thousands week by week are particularly powerful, every Christian you, me, Todd, Amy, every Christian needs to carefully guard their heart and guard their behavior because we're all subject to the wiles and temptations of the devil. And these are two great books for just setting before you a vision of what it is to live a simple, disciplined Christian life. Remember, too, that we are a donor-supported podcast. If you feel uh, you'd like to make a donation, please do so at our website. In the meantime, we will play out with the only track that came to mind during the discussion this morning. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... But within the conservative, reformed, and evangelical world, We've had massive problems. What role should sanctification play in assurance? This is a doctrine that lay people struggle with all the time. And so how, how do you answer a question like, do you have to be sanctified in order to be saved? How, how do you handle a question like that? That interview is next time. Join us then.
Well, thanks for tuning in to Mortification of Spin. I am always... No, okay, i got to do that again. Okay, everybody ready? Cut, take mm-hmm. two. Well, thanks for checking out Mortification of Spin today. Uh, my name is Todd Pruitt. I'm always... I'm... Ah! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared <off. laughs> That's not pipe. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, How much gin and tonic are you drinking there, Mike? It's a bit early in the day. Here we go. Here we go.